One of the recurring ideas explored on The Evolving Leader is how the expanding knowledge of how our emotions work can enable us to be better leaders, create healthier organizations, and live a more satisfying life. Whilst the science of emotions continues to reveal new insights, emotional intelligence isn't simply gained from knowing. It's a craft skill that develops with doing. In this show, Scott and Emma talk to a former guest, Dr. Rob Murray, about his new book, Fighting for Heart, which aims to help leaders integrate IQ and EQ. Hey folks, welcome back to the Evolving Leader Podcast. I'm Scott Allender and Mr. John Gomes is out in the world somewhere cultivating mindsets and I am joined by occasional co-host and always friend of the show, Emma Sinclair. Hi Emma, how are you feeling today? Hi Scott, uh, thank you for coming back again. I am feeling, I'm feeling calm now. It's the end of my day on a Thursday. Um, it, I wasn't feeling quite that calm earlier in the day, so uh, it's uh, definitely, definitely good to be towards the end of the day. Um, and now I'm feeling uh, interested, intrigued, and excited because I've just had a little, little taster of what's to come. So um, yeah, very excited to be uh, talking to uh, Rob Murray today. How am I feeling, you ask? Well, um, How are you feeling, Scott? <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling uh, I'm feeling a little distracted because I've been in like multiple different kinds of uh, environments today, um, from keynotes to uh, to workshop teaching and and all of that. But I have no doubt that this is exactly the conversation I need to have today because today we are rejoined by a previous guest, uh, Dr. Rob Murray. Rob is the co-founder and CEO of Transformed Leader, which is a consultancy organization that draws from the collective value of research, professional experience, and expert associates to design and deliver experiential, integrative content that fuels wholehearted leadership across the globe. Rob is the co-author of The Human Operating System, Recovering the Heart and Soul of Your Leadership, and his new book is called Fighting for Heart, How Emotional Intelligence can transform the way you live, love, and lead. Rob, welcome back to The Evolving Leader. Gosh, thank you for having me. I, you know, you always wonder if you get invited back, so that's a big deal, so thank you. It's a good sign. <laughs> I'm so pleased to meet you, Rob, because I listened back to the first one, and so awesome. I'm, I'm feeling very lucky. But um, wonderful to meet you. And how are you feeling today, Rob? Well, firstly, I love, Emma, you checked in with, and we'll get to it, but there's 12 core emotions that we talk about, and you brought up two of them, calm. You said, I'm feeling calm, so I like that. Um, you also said excited. And uh, and I can attach to those two because I'm familiar with what they mean. How am I feeling? I, I'm excited. Uh, I do have some shame I'm carrying. Uh, I have some fear. I've got some things brewing on the horizon, and I just, I'm carrying some fear. I'm also coming in here just... Uh, ready to be with you guys and excited to help uh, the world, hopefully as I'm helping myself show up to more of who I am. And uh, mm. if I get me, maybe you'll get me. We'll see what happens. <laughs> well, I, I'm so delighted that you're back, Rob. Um, and you and I have uh, recently released 
books about emotional intelligence. And although we uh, approach the topic from different perspectives, I immediately saw that we are starting from a very similar vantage point, namely that everyone wants to be more emotionally intelligent, um, but hardly anyone knows what that actually means or what to do about it. So from your perspective, tell us what motivated you to write this book. I, I, I can't remember if I've shared this before, but I, I share the story often, and it's a personal situation. My wife shows up, tells me one day she wants to have a talk, and it's that tone where you're like, this is not a great talk. I, this doesn't feel good. Uh, we end up sitting down on the edge of the bed, and my wife, Natalie, looks at me, and she says, um, you're a good dad. You're a good husband. You're working so hard for our family. You're doing this, you're doing this, you're doing this. And we're waiting for the three-letter word, but. But it's so lonely to be married to you. And uh, I've shared that. And and every time I share, even now as I'm sharing it, I'm like, oh, gosh. And and how do I get get you back? It's like we're Mm -hmm. climbing the hill. We're taking over the world. But, like, how, how do we get back to one another? And, and what motivated me, not at the time, I wasn't very motivated. I was terrified because the story that I have is people leave. You know, you're not enough mm. and people leave. And what have I done now? And how do I fix you so that this doesn't happen? But what she was really saying, which I've now come to learn, is you're only lonely with people you want more with. Mm. So here she is saying I'm lonely with you, which is actually quite flattering. You know, I'm not lonely with the person at the checkout register. I'm lonely with someone that I want more with that I'm not getting. And she was really saying, Rob, I want more. And the problem was my, t- my terror kicked in because I didn't know what more was. So I went on a journey to discover what that meant. And years and years and years have gone by. And then somewhere along the way, after a couple of years, I go, oh, my gosh, I think I found some stuff uh, for me. I think it's playing out in my life. And then, the, then it becomes, well, how do I invite others to discover this? And so I was motivated around this book. This book's not like, well, what else can I write about? It's like, no, no, no. I, I discovered a language, a pathway, a process. Um, I aggregated the best of the things that I could find to help save parts of the life I want to live with the people that mean something to me. And out of that motivation, I'm going, well, now, how, now I'm ready to share it with the world. Not as a great idea, but almost as an experience uh, that I've learned that I want to offer to you. So I wrote Fighting for Heart, uh, or Heart, as you may say. I, I haven't got the heart <laughs> word down. But I, I really I really wrote, wrote it, for, and I love the title, because it was something I have fought for and continue to fight for today. And, yeah. uh, and I was like, I need to get this in a form for other people to show up to this work. Mm. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's a really powerful story. And... Um, I, uh, I reflected uh, in terms of, because I think you shared that before, but I can see why you have, you know, that is such an important story and anchor point for for you in terms of where that leads. Um, and I know we've got, we want to dive into a lot of the content that's in the book. We've got some quite specific questions, but there's a couple of things that I sort of heard and started to pull out and just the language that you use in there, which was um, like people are, 
you know, potentially leading their lives with their feelings on life support. And mm. you have this image on the front of your book, definitely when I was, you know, got in the UK, and it's almost this person completely slumped over, st- totally slumped over in the big words, fighting, you know, fighting. And I was just mm. like, that that juxtap- juxtaposition is so powerful, you know, that idea of perhaps your feelings on life support. And I, I don't know whether you could just help elaborate why why like why now is this such an important kind of message and moment for for this book for organizations and and anyone out there yeah i i think uh it could be a time for now and or also just a season of life i'm in and other people you know i'm in getting into my 40s now um and you finally get to a place i'm getting there this critical mass where where life is a little not as awesome as it used to be like you have to fight a little harder people are struggling with more things you've climbed certain rungs on this like supposed ladder that's who knows where it's going and and i just realized that we know how to punch the clock and go home uh you know how to show up and do this and i'm looking around me and i'm experiencing it myself like monday morning Tuesday morning, Thursday morning, you know, you just start waking up every day mm. and, and everywhere I go, leaders are really busy. And in America, at least we pride ourselves. It's almost like an accolade. Oh, I'm super busy. Yeah. And it's become an idol of success, right? I'm super busy, but busy doing what? Well, the answer is most of the people that are busy have no clue what they're doing and why. And so after enough of doing the same thing over and over, you still wake up with those nagging questions. Like, what is this all for? And and then you look around at your relationships and maybe one or two of them is gone and you're like, where did that go? Or you're holding things together by a thread and it sounds like it's doomsday. I'm not saying that. I'm just telling you it's life. And the sooner you and I show up to tell the truth that life is a struggle that you have to fight through and it's the beauty and the brokenness of life that if leaders can hold the tension, then it's awesome. But the problem is we live in the absolute of everything's fine, everything's fine, everything's fine when it's not. And then we, what, we blow up, we burn out and so forth. And so the picture on the book, I I was a little torn because I was like, do I want to reinforce a negative image or do I want to some books sell you the vision of your future? And I was like, I just need you to know I see you. Mm -hmm. It's a grind. I'm grinding too. And the guy has a wind up on his back, right? It's like we're getting wound up and like maybe the game of golf on a Sunday. It's not enough. My golf's terrible. So that's not going <laughs> to wind me up anytime soon. But it's not enough. So how do we replace that to do good work? I like to work hard. But how do I work hard in a way that doesn't crush meaning, purpose, soul, presence, the insides of who a, who a person is, not just the outsides? And the world will take everything you have on the outside. So no, I'm glad you connected to that. And at least it's hopefully an invitation to show up and fight. Because if you don't fight, uh, Scott, we talked about this, and this is where you and I overlap. Everyone wants to be emotionally intelligent. That's the the, the Mm -hmm. question I ask. I probably asked so many leaders in these uh, Fortune 500 companies last year over and over and over again, who wants to be emotionally intelligent? Me. Every hand goes up. All right, who is doing anything intentional or specific and almost every hand goes down. Mm-hmm. And, and it just takes any kind of coaching or consulting to realize that's called a gap analysis. And we have now analyzed there is a gap between desire and hope and reality. And then I would ask that question. And uh, Scott, you've done a, I just have enjoyed the way that I do think you and I have some great overlap and, and shared kind of influences. Because then I'll say, well, what is emotional intelligence? And the mm-hmm. answers are so 
uh, I don't want to say weak. They're just so insufficient. I'm like, wow, if that's mm-hmm. your definition. Like, firstly, you we, everyone wants it. Nobody's doing anything about it. And we barely know what it even is. Right. And so my, I'm on a quest, hopefully with you guys, to bring awareness and then an invitation to take that awareness to the streets of your life so you don't just have a gym membership like me currently. You actually go to the gym feeling <laughs> shame again. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there's so much to pull out here. Um, so how would you, I get this question a lot, but I'm curious, you know, how, how are you defining it? So obviously heart is at the center of it. But but how are you defining it in these rooms for people? You know, they're giving you this sort of probably very surface sort of textbook definition, kind of nebulous idea about what it's supposed to be. How do you define it? So, you know, w- when you go through a doctoral program or anything like that, you're forced to research as much as you can about any industry to try to understand the full scope within the realms of your, uh, you know, appreciations or so forth. I went out and try to understand as many definitions as I could. Like, what are we aiming for? Because when I sit mm-hmm. in a corporate boardroom and you sell them emotional, they don't want emotional intelligence. They want the payoff. They want the outcomes of an emotionally intelligent person. They want the outcomes of an intelligent person. Nobody buys emotional intelligence. Uh, they, you know, they, they'll buy it to get to the thing. So I, I spent a lot of time trying to understand, and I'm in other industries, but that was one I'm in. I'm in the leadership industry. So it, it took me a while, and I went through as many as I could. And uh, the human operating system is our work, and it's very you know simple around the idea of we're, we're human beings with a heart, soul, mind, and a body, heart, soul, mind, strength. And I thought, well, if those are four attributes, let's attach the, let's kind of take that down into the heart and then use that same template to create kind of the mind of the heart or the strength of the heart, the heart of the heart, the soul of the heart. And I don't want you to get too lost listening to all this. You asked the question, um, I'd try, but I'll, I'll <laughs> say it this much. And then as I spent time playing around with, with that, like what's the logical part of our emotions and the physical and, you know, and so forth. When I think of four attributes that make up an emotionally intelligent person, you're growing in your ability to have self-control. You are becoming, uh, you're growing in your ability to have self-confidence, self-worth, and self-awareness. So most people say self-awareness. What's being emotionally intelligent? Self-awareness. I agree. Uh, We all want it, but we really don't. Please don't help me become more self-aware. Ignorance is bliss. I can help, (laughs) you know, I've got plenty of people that will help me. We don't really want it. But when you think of those four, self-control, self-confidence, self-worth, self-awareness. Now, let's take it down to what I call baselines, and let's add another layer. You're starting to become someone that's more emotionally regulated. You're becoming more emotionally agile. You're becoming more emotionally connected, and you're growing in your emotional perspective. Those are four different things. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm agile, like, in my emotions. Agility is one thing. Well... What is connection? I may know in a well, I'm feeling really afraid. Are you? Let me help you connect to your fear. No, no, no. I just want to know it. Well, an emotionally intelligent person is starting to become connected to their emotion rather than just aware of their emotion. So those are like four baselines. Then here's the payoff. Again, this is a mouthful, but this is my bullseye. Like when I do whatever I do, I'm telling you this is what we're going for. And here's, here's most what most companies want. Below each of those, I've identified to the best of my ability through the work that I've done to go, 
what are the competencies and there's like these 16 competencies that I measure and it's uh, you are be- this is now think of it through the lens of emotion I'm becoming more committed more assertive with my emotions I'm becoming more responsible and expressive okay that's one set of four that's incredible we can't do all of these by the way it's like but you're going to notice which ones you probably need right now maybe I need to be more assertive with how I'm feeling um, the next four I'm becoming more courageous with what I'm feeling, more adaptive, resilient, and effective. How do you become more effective with your emotions? There's ways. Next four. I'm becoming more compassionate with what's going on inside of me, more uh, relational, more empathetic. And then I love this. This is a tough one for us. I'm growing in my emotional intelligence because I'm someone who's growing in my creativity, Mm. like Wow, you're really angry, Scott. Uh, what could that be? Well, no, I'm just angry. No, no, I, oh, I know that. But like, man, what could it be? Like, like, let's paint a picture. Like, can you get creative with what's going on inside of you so it opens you up to other parts of your brain? You're also becoming accountable for what you feel. You're becoming reflective and enlightened. Like, those are more kind of soul attributes of your emotional system. So, long long story long as we say in in uh, in the south I, you look at all those and you go dear lord rob that's too much i agree but at least i can put it on a board i can ask you in one question identify two or three of these areas that you're struggling with in your life right now you can circle them and i can say well let's go there because there's energy and we yeah. can begin to do intentional work on those areas of your emotional system i lo- i love that there is a lot there but i could see how there's a great deal of value in that framing and, and helping people point to it. Zooming back out to where you started, and you said two things that jumped off for me, which is emotional self-regulation and, emo- and connection, right? Do you think that, in your experience, that the connection piece is the hardest piece and people want to bypass it to start self-regulating. Because in some ways, there's some implicit message in my experience in the emotional intelligence space within business and within leadership where people think the only goal is to get a handle on their emotions, to regulate and get to a place where they don't have to be affected by their emotions and try to get far too logical and far, far too rational and get back to business. But what I hear you saying is, you can't do that until you can connect deeply to the emotions, which is what I assume you mean by fighting for heart. Exactly. Um, you know, I mean, Emma, what what's your experience? Well, take take a shot at what Scott said because I want to build off. You've probably seen this in your world, haven't you? The the desire to regulate above connecting. Is that fair? Yeah. No, absolutely. I think there's there's a there's a real sense. I, <laughs> I loved what you said right at the very beginning, which is almost like. People, nobody buys emotional intelligence. They just buy what you get on the back of it. And it's, mm. I, I do, I do get a sense that the language of emotional intelligence and how it's being used is, is kind of so out there that people haven't really connected to what that really means for me. So um, I'm going around the houses a little bit. And what you said, but the the piece that stood out for me is that idea of well, making these 
useful. It's almost like yeah. you connect to the, your emotion because they are useful to you because they enable you to do something. And I think the bit around uh, then stepping out and wanting to regulate, because then I feel like I've got, you know, I've got it and I understand it. You can't do that until you understand what's going on inside to enable you to do something with it. Yeah. And yeah. I, yeah, mm -hmm. I could dive into all of your uh, 16 points because I think they're um, uh, fascinating. But that usefulness just come, for me comes across in your, like, your work and your passion so much. Yeah. Well, think about it, Scott. You you just gave away, uh, I'll confirm your bias towards the, the leadership industry, the business industry. They'll look at the list like this and then they'll pick their favorites. Well, the regulation is going to be high. Mm -hmm. yeah. Can you just put that stuff, can you sort that stuff <laughs> out? Like, in fact, if you're going to have it, make sure you're, you're, you're taken care of. But I, but I go into my system too where, where I start to develop even... A, a, a relationship with yourself in a way that's uh, you know not awkward. It's just a sense of having a familiarity with who you are. There's four levels of depth that I've kind of uh, discovered, and and, I, and I'll say this: Can I, I? I want someone to make contact with what's going on inside of them. Step one. Step two: If you can make contact, well, well why is that so hard? Most of us don't want to know what's going on because then we have to show up to it. So we do live mm. in denial. It's the best drug in the world. I choose it daily in certain areas <laughs> of my life. So, so my step is to look at you and say, okay, denial, distraction, determination, all these things are distracting you. Number one, can I get you to make contact with your life? Okay. Secondly, can I get you to communicate now, making contact means you, 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 know, you, re you reached it, but now can you actually communicate it? Why? Because the moment you say it out loud, it becomes real. So a lot of us make contact, but we, re we keep it up in our brains. We don't want to share it with anyone because the moment you know, it comes out, now it's, now it's real. So then I help people say it out loud. It's real. Now, third point, I want you to connect to what you're feeling. I made contact. Uh, Hey, what are you feeling? I don't know what I'm feeling. Okay, they haven't made contact. Well, well, well if, you, if you were to have feelings, because you're not a sociopath or psychopath, hypothetically, if we were speaking, uh, what feelings <laughs> could someone like you have? Uh, I guess I would be afraid. Are you afraid? I guess I am afraid. They made contact. They communicated. And now I want them to connect to the fear. Why? Well, because it's real. It's their life. It's not my life. And if I can get them to connect to the fear, the fear is not going to crush them. Pretending the fear is not there is going to crush them. So then I help them connect to the fear. And if they learn how to do connection long enough, eventually you reach a fourth point. I don't think I'm there. The word is commune. Can I commune with what's going on inside of me? And when you think of commune, it's kind of mm. like this. I have this settledness that this, it's an acceptance and a settledness around what is. I, I, I guess I am afraid. Uh, I need to process this fear. I can connect to it. It's part of what I'm facing. There's almost like an acceptance. Now, when you see people like that, they're really emotionally settled and grounded. doesn't mean they don't have emotion. It's, it's the people without the contact that are denying the emotion. It's the people on the other spectrum who are communing with what's going on inside of them that are the grounded people of character that I hope and aspire to be, you know? Hmm something that you sparked there it's almost like it's emotional growth so the idea that there are almost levels in your mind and which you could Correct. do you know you can work with people to get to this point of as you you talked of you know contact understand and communicate 
And some people might not get any further than that unless Correct. they do like the long work to get yourself to connect and commune was your word, wasn't it? Like how yeah. many people make it there and what does it take to really do that work? Yeah. I could make up a statistic, Emma. We could just we could. Oh, yeah, it's all right. That's uh, cool. Twenty-three percent of people love cats. <laughs> we might have to bet. <laughs> uh, you you are spot on, uh, and here's what you're saying: it's a funnel, right? Like, um, I can get a lot of people to make contact. You can sit in a keynote speech, and you, you, we've all been at a conference, and and someone gets on the stage and they say something out loud to a passive audience. Well, a bunch of people may make contact. Now, will they actually that? Will it go any further? Well, it's the odds get a little slimmer. And then will they actually connect to what was said and actually live it out in their lives? And then eventually, will it become a part of who they are? Will it commune with who they are as a person? It just gets slimmer and slimmer and slimmer and slimmer. So that's what I've experienced. So the work I do is to help people. I probably just help people do the first three. And, I'm in, and I'll tell you, the jury's out in my research uh, in my own life, the jury's out. Dear Lord, I, I've got to live out this whole, I live what, I, what I'm doing. But I know that if I can help you make contact, I'm pretty good at helping people make contact, mm-hmm. which is why we have uh, core emotions, socially core emotions. I don't use core emotion theory. I'm talking about just, here are 12 words. If we can just agree, learn what they are, they'll help you make contact. They'll help us communicate. And then I spend the space as a guide helping people go between communicate and connect. Mm. And sometimes I realize they don't want it. Sometimes I realize um, they're not ready. Sometimes I realize it's it, it, I may want it more than they want it for their life. And and then they go back and forth. And every now and again, you make contact mm. and you go, dear Lord, I don't want this. And we mm. backpedal to ignorance is bliss. Let me stay busy. Let me stay distracted. And I'm just going to pretend everything's fine. I'm great. And we go back to, I'm doing fine. And then I just say, all right, well, I guess I'll see you go take another lap. And I'll see you in a couple of years. Because the thing I do know about life is it has a way of, of pulling us into the depth and meaning, especially the older you get. Um, and I'm not speaking like a sage. I'm starting to be drawn into a more meaningful life as in my 40s. Um, and at some point, you're going to have to show up to the qualitative attributes of your life. And you're mm. going to start to look a little awkward on the outside if you're like, you know, in your 60s competing to beat the people in their 20s and 30s as a warrior. You know, you're going to have to become a quality human being. And so they go take another lap and then maybe in time they'll connect. And uh, maybe not. Um, I don't see a lot of people communing. Uh, I'm kicking and screaming. I won't be communing anytime soon with what's going on inside of me. Mm. I'm probably still too young, uh, ambitious probably still too frustrated and think I can outwork what's going on inside of me. And at some point, uh, maybe that'll change. But until then, let's give them hell. (laughs) Uh, I understand and relate to the ignorance is bliss comment because, you know, I feel like I've been on a journey for 10 years of doing deeper and deeper self-discovery of what's really going on and really trying to connect with and commune with. And there are times I'd like to put the genie back in the bottle because <laughs> you start getting connected to stuff that you didn't, you, you kind of recognize, oh, this is why I try to put it away in the shadows to begin Correct. with, right? Yeah. And now that I have to face it, that's painful. And it, yeah. and it, and it, and you have to go through a bit of suffering to come through and to have a more meaningful connected life. You identify that there are six common resistances that keep leaders uh, from investing in this work and this emotional growth. So maybe we can kind of go through them one by one, uh, you start with the resistance of self-protection 
against social shame, pressure, or judgments for being quote unquote emotional. Can you, can you unpack this one for us a bit? I sure will. I'll just quickly qualify. These six things came out of the research that I did with leaders who were intentionally showing up to what was going on inside of them in a, in a group environment. So I went and studied leaders who said emotional intelligence is important, and they were outliers. They were actually were doing something about it. Um, they didn't just have the gym membership. They are actually going to gym. And that's very rare in the world of emotional intelligence. We, we're all getting smarter, but, but these guys were doing the work and still are. Um, I think actually as we speak right now, I have a group running that I, I facilitate right around this time. So these guys right now, while I'm on here with you, there are eight people that checked in with how they feel. And they're business leaders across the country, and they just said out loud what was going on inside of them. They're and in the room with you right now? You're just ignoring them. Hey guys, <laughs> they're they're on they're on his. Uh, uh, I just I had earlier seen and so and so is joining a Zoom room and and I was like oh wait I, oh yeah I I got someone running I mean, a group right I now. Think we should do the check in <laughs> in silence. Like how should, amazing should that we just so go can... into that meeting right now and just yeah. have a case study? Um, yeah, <laughs> that would only violate every uh, feeling of confidentiality <laughs> and safety. Yeah, no, don't do that. But um, okay, let's go back to this one. So these six resistances, these are real. So when I said, well, emotional intelligence is important. Yes. What are you doing? Nothing. Huh. I wonder what the resistances are from stopping you from showing up. First one, self-protection against social shame, pressure, or judgment for being too emotional. You've probably heard it on the show tons of times. What did most people grow up hearing from their parents or from their friends or from culture? Get over it. Mm. Uh, Don't be a baby. I don't know what else you heard um, in your own story or a different story. Um, oh, you're just being you're just being so dramatic. You know, it's like don't oh, cry. I'll give you something to cry yeah. about. Oh yeah, that was a good one. And in South Africa, that one <laughs> that one means what it means. <laughs> yeah, corporal punishment was a good time at high school. So, so the moment you show up with that, uh, you just self protect, and the self protection is how we stay alive in the world. And uh, again, uh, on your denial comment earlier, it's bliss. I want you to tell the times where you and I, we unsee our lives. I have some kindness towards that sometimes. Sometimes mm-hmm. our lives are hard and we need to unsee them. And But this is another idea. We self-protect from what we're feeling because we know that we're going to be shamed, pressured, or we're going to be judged. And, oh, you're just, you got to stop feeling. You're just too feelings orientated or whatever else. And so then we go, well, all right, what do you need me to be? A robot? All right, well, here we go. And uh, we attempt to short-circuit the human experience, which is to be a feeling, thinking, doing human being, like a human being, and yet we want to be human doings. So uh, that's Mm. tough. Well, I think the feeling that comes to me immediately is just sadness in that too. And you just think how, uh, you know, the work that we do and we look at what that, impact is on other people and what that's doing for you that you know if you can show up with awareness and ask others how others are experiencing you then you've got someone who can't be themselves or that someone's just so perhaps oblivious to how they're you know making another person feel that you've got almost got there's always two people at least in my experience that create that sense of emotion so you know we've got two two quite stuck positions to be able to actually move forward in that space so, yeah, well, Emma, really quick, uh, qu- let's use this as a quick experience. You just, I love what just happened. You just said, man, Rob, as you're talking, just think about it. You made contact 
with a feeling, which was sad, and then you communicated it out loud, and and you're sharing about it. But I haven't felt it connect yet, and I and I'll and to myself or you. So then I'll ask you this question, and you don't have to answer. But it's like, what about what I just shared? Um, is so sad for you, or or how does that sadness connect deeper to your life or your story? Is there a is there a person in your life or a situation? Somehow, some way, that sadness is connected to you. We feel stuff that's somehow related yeah. to us. I'm curious. Yeah, I just I think I I. I work with a lot of different groups and different people and I think it's it's not even generational but you will get some individuals who just say well that's you know feelings just isn't something that we talk about or have talked about or it was just something that never came up in the past and and I'm on my own journey to get there so I think when you're talking about that I I just see a lot of I see a lot of people almost hunched over a bit like a bit like the image on the front of your book again and it's mm. I think that's what makes me feel sad because I start to recognize that that's not just happening for one person that's happening for so many people out there um okay so yeah now, I, I don't want you I, I don't want you to say their names we're gonna go deeper just real quick stay with me <laughs> But but you're still general. Like I'm, we're gonna go we're gonna connect even like I'm, it's just so sad to see people hunched over yeah yeah Okay, and if you if you change the language and all of a sudden you go, it's so sad for me to see who. A- again, I'm not asking you to uh, put names up. But if you're like, it's so sad for me to see the people I work with in these contexts when I'm doing the work to see how they protect themselves. I leave my work feeling really sad, um, disappointed, for that because I really care about this stuff and I want it for them. You see how it's getting per- more and more yeah. personal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we could go, all right, now now let's put the buckle, buckle on. We're going to go even further because I want you to really connect to the depth of your sadness around that because it's going to open me up to another feeling you have, which is a healthy form of anger. You sound like someone who has a passion and a drive and a determination to want people to wake up to their insides. And so your sadness is tied to a loss. Here's what I want. Sadness is loss. Here's what I want and here's what is. And it's the gap between. Well, I want to know what do you want because that's tied to your sadness, which is what you're actually experiencing. And if and now we just uncovered it. We can make contact uh, with a new emotion, which is your healthy anger and advocacy for people to wake up to their insides. Does it make sense? Yeah. I love it. Little workout there. I really enjoyed <laughs> that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's better her than me. <laughs> <laughs> Number two. <laughs> well, okay, okay, okay stop. Uh, now you're up. You just got yourself in the, in the hot seat. Uh-oh. Yeah, so think about that. We all had a good laugh on what Scott just said. Better her than me. What feeling is that? Uh, no, I, well, I was... That would uh, be fear for me. I wasn't I, ready for the hot seat, so I just was yeah, trying to... Yeah. 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 So, so think about that. What a great social... He just did exactly what we did. He didn't shame me or you or anyone. We use humor. I use humor to avoid intimacy and protect myself. Better her than me is actually, man, that's rather someone else than me have to feel the vulnerability mm. or the fear that I could have in this moment. Again, just yeah. think about how quickly we do that. Yeah. And I, and I, in truth, as Emma was talking, I felt a sense of sadness because I could see myself on the cover of your book in many times in my life. Wow. 
I feel like I've, I feel like I've been slumped over. I, I feel like I've been there and i and that brings about, I didn't realize it at the time. Um, and I see my, I see my proclivity to go back there at times too. Um, so I felt, I felt sadness that was deeply, deeply personal in that way. Um, but I didn't want to be on the hot seat as I am now. So yeah, I, yeah. I did use humor to deflect. <laughs> Plus, I'm trying to entertain the masses here, Rob. I mean, you know, I'm a professional broadcaster. I can juggle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's do some juggling. <laughs> All right. No, so number two, Scott. <laughs> I'll save you. Uh, which one was number two? Let's no, look at this. Number so the second two, defense. Yeah, the number two resistance that people hold a belief that leaders should not be distracted by emotions. Yeah. That's How have you guys one. encountered that? You've been on enough of these. You, it's like, well, th- that's going to distract us. Distract us from what? Emma, do you driving wanna, things I, forward I, for yeah, performance? Yeah. Um, for getting to the like understanding what's really going on. Quite often. Yeah. The idea that actually if we don't raise emotions and we can just continue onwards, it will slow us down Correct. is another is another thing that I, I hear a lot, which I like to challenge. But the idea that, you know, emotion slows us down. Um, yeah. I think, too, I'd add on that is um, there just seems to be an embedded sort of cultural belief across business that, you know, rational processing the mind is the most important asset we have mm-hmm. that emotions are interfering with connecting to that and a lack of a the more embodied sense of awareness that actually emotions and our physical bodies all these things play an important role in our decision making and when we can actually connect with them we actually become more intelligent but yeah. i don't think that's widely understood and, and you guys have jumped into the world of neuroscience through different guests and through your own research mm-hmm. and it's like We've somehow elevated the frontal lobe, the, you know, the CEO function of our mm-hmm. logic. And in the West, that's, an, again, a, another idol of ours. It's like I have to – I need to understand everything and get the facts, data, analytics because that drives strategy and outcomes. And honestly, here I show up with, with feelings and people don't know what to do with them and now you're just a distraction. And what they're forgetting is there's all these other parts to your brain that hold a treasure trove of intelligence – but we don't understand how that works. We can't quantify it in certain ways. And so, you know, I'm on a journey to hopefully quantify some of it to show them that you can be distracted by emotions constructively. And in fact, your company will go to a whole new level altogether. So we'll see if we Mm. can kind of, we may even be able to prove that already, but I don't think socially people are ready to accept that because they'll have to then swallow the pill of showing up to what's going on inside of them. And that's an uncharted territory in most leadership conferences I go to. It's normally mm-hmm. just how I can improve my skills and work harder and longer. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a courtesy item is how to be a whole human being. So, Should you do number three? Avoiding emotions feels easier, safer, and more manageable. Yeah. I feel like that with a 16-year-old daughter. I have an 18-year-old son. Uh, I have two other girls. I mean, I've got one boy, three girls. I, I, I'm working on my marriage today. I'm living every day with my my life. You know what? Sometimes it just feels easier to just and safer just to avoid it. I can see it on their faces, and I just take three side steps, and somehow I'm miraculously working late today, hoping that <laughs> um, you know I've got this really important meeting, and uh, that just feels a little more manageable. Um, maybe I don't have to show up to it. My son's leaving mm. for college. Maybe I don't have to fully process that. 
maybe I just can cheer him on. So I, I don't know how you guys experience that, but sometimes avoiding feels a whole lot good. Yeah, for sure. You you point out a fourth one, uh, a lack of emotional modeling growing up, and you kind of touched on that earlier, but yep. I, think, I think I'd like to hear more about that. Yeah, the, the way I categorize that, I did a whole bunch of research around this specific point too. Um, I really spent a lot of time researching the emotional mindsets of a family system, the emotional mindset of a, of a father and a mother, and and then the impact of that on the emotional mindset of the leader I was working with in my research participants. So it was like, all right, what, you know, and so it'd say my mother was uh, emotionally avoidant. Uh, my father was, let's say, emotionally, you know, data-driven, static, or uh, expressive, but afraid. There were certain categories. And then as a family unit, I wanted to see mom, dad, family to see who won. And because then that becomes the culture. And then mm -hmm. as a result of that culture, what happened to you? And almost every participant left their family system with a sense of, um, of uh, I'm going to suppress and avoid feeling. Um, emotions are either scary and out of control because we don't know how to have a healthy relationship with them or we don't have them. And so then most leaders um, that I worked with, and they were uh, they were a masculine group, so I, I, I haven't studied uh, women leaders in this context for the research. It was uh, isolated to them, so I'm not sure how the numbers would change. But they left with this avoidant reality. And so that's what they were modeled growing up. For some of them, they were modeled the opposite, and they became reactive. It was like, well, hmm. uh, we never were allowed to feel in our homes, so... I'm really expressive or it was crazy. And so now I'm really stagnant. My argument would be, well, you're still just reacting. It's not like mm -hmm. you're being you, you're just being a reaction to your past. So that was, that was interesting. I mean, who, especially uh, think about generationally too, though, I want to give some grace. This isn't like a heaping, I never heap stuff on the past, but I definitely show up to my life and my past. And I'm willing to talk about it in a way that's constructive there's also a generation. I think there are generational realities. We live in a Western culture now where people spend money on things like themselves in the ways that mm -hmm. after a world war or after industrial revolution, you know, uh, revolution or during the different, like people weren't doing those things because they weren't the most important thing in culture. So we do mm -hmm. also have to acknowledge the lack of modeling wasn't just because our parents were terrible. If you want to heap that on them, it was also yeah. like, it's a both and, and be sad about it. You can be angry about it, but I'd be more sad. Wasn't it sad that a whole generation of people were had no tools, had no societal, uh, you know, insight to help them grow, and then make the sadness connect to you? Isn't it sad that I was a child of that generation, despite how much I love them? I wish I had more. Um, and you just can acknowledge the reality. Mm. And in light of that being my story, uh, who do I want to be? Not how do I react to them? Who do I want to be? And, uh, and, and do, in what ways do I want to change that? And so mm. for some of us, we've pendulum swung the other way and people are like, it's all about me. And, and I'm like, whew, dear Lord, help us. You know, that's not what I'm selling. I'm not selling narcissism. I'm selling groundedness. Mm. Number four. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Emma, I'm a lot of person, by the way. If you haven't picked <laughs> I up, I know. I'm realizing this. I'm thinking we need, yeah, yeah. We need number three episode for yeah. this, and then we'll put yeah, John I'm, on I'm, the hot I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm a lot of person. I, I get really passionate in, about what I what I do. So, hi, folks. Phil here, producer of the show. If you're enjoying the Evolving Leader and would like to stay connected with us, follow us on Twitter at evolving underscore leader. And please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Should we do five and six just to, to round, round it off? Um, so ignorance of any other way than performing and producing and not justifying the time and money to prioritise emotional development. So five just tags on the four. It's like in the home we weren't modelled. Yeah. Oh, in the workplace, there's just ignorance. What do you mean? There's no other way. Like, uh, we don't have a clue. And uh, you guys are thankfully being a part of uh, helping people not be so ignorant through these kinds of messages. And then quite frankly, it's it's unbelievable. People's, uh, their lives are falling apart, but they're like, yeah, I don't really have the time and money to justify that while they're drinking like a Frappuccino with 18 shots of something mixed in with, you know, all the stuff we buy. We're always buying stuff and somehow, some way we don't invest in the qualitative attributes of our lives. Those are resistances. It's like, those are tough resistances and you have to overcome them uh, to do the work. And I'm aware of those. So when I when I invite a person and I go, "Hey, do you want you know do you want to show up to more of what's going on inside of you?" I'm expecting one, two, three, four, or five of these to be screaming at them. At least I'm aware, and then I just I can notice them and get curious about them, and then at the end of it, they have to choose. I don't fight harder for others than they fight for themselves. That's that's uh, part of my healing from codependency, I guess. Uh, allowing you to have more anger for your life than I do for your life. <laughs> so one of the things that I, I speak about a little bit is that, you know, the, one of the difficulties with this idea of becoming more aware is that, you know, it, it's really difficult to know when we lose our awareness, right? And so we need practices to work this stuff out, right? To, you know, you, you took us through a great guided example with Emma and I on on connecting but for people listening you know how can they what are some ideas that they can sort of take away to start doing this work right that they don't have the benefit of sitting with you in a room yeah what can they start to do i'm not a sales guy i I may be passionate emma but i i I really hardly ever know how to sell other than i'm going to tell you what i'm doing and i and i get passionate about it um so but i'm going to say this I spent years and years and years doing the the research to give you a logical reason why you should care. I've in, in this new book, I've included uh, an emotional case. This is also this means a lot to me, and I've also created a uh, exactly what you're asking for, Scott. A maybe the word system that sounds terrible, but maybe an ecosystem where there are several ways for you to get into the heart and start to do the work. Um, it and and so to grab a book is fine. It's not going to, no book will change your life. Uh, like if you're reading like a hundred books a year, stop, like read three and do them, like live them out, embody them, you know, but so, but buy the book and it'll calm your brain to make the case to say there's something here. And in, in, and in the book, I go through a four part system and one or two or three of those parts of the, the door, one of those doorways will be more easier to get in than others. For someone, they may be like, wow, these are feelings on a sheet. For someone else, it's a little more generic. There's characters or maybe you like the outcomes. What are the, you know, check in around the outcomes you need. I may, you know, you may start there. But you can start to do the work by yourself. 
and it's helpful. What I have found, though, and, and if you guys follow the field of interpersonal neurobiology, one of the big principles in, uh, in that work is that the brain is transformed and changed within relationships of trust, communities of trust. And so I can do all this work by myself. But it's why we, we don't do groups just for fun. Um, and I keep my groups a certain level. And then sometimes we do smaller breakouts. And sometimes you do a one-on-one. There's all reasons for it. It's like, but a, in a group setting... When someone else does their work, you may not have the words to make contact yet to what's going on inside of you. But when someone else is talking about their life, you can't help but attune to them and make it about you. Like if I told you I was going through a divorce and you start to have a ton of feelings for me, but you don't even really know me, they're probably not about me because you don't really care about me. It's something about me going through a divorce which represents something in your story. Maybe you were a child and you went through a divorce. Maybe you're in your own marriage and you've had fears about where it's at. I don't know. And so you want to do this work. The book helps you go, hey, this makes sense logically. Here's some practices to get you started. I even have a card set. The card set's awesome. It's like you can actually do the work. And then you go, the next step would be like, how do I find a relationship or people that are doing this? Like, how do I get close to people that are doing this work? so that I can be grafted into a, a flow of, of people showing up. Like your listeners on this podcast, they're like in the flow of where we're all headed. Like they're, they're, there's something about our tribe. We're like a tribe. You've got to find a tribe. Mm. And if you're all using the same words, that's all I've tried to do is I'm a simple guy and uh, I try to take complex things and make it as simple for everyday use. And it's like if we can all have the same rules of engagement using the same similar words and have the same understanding of the definitions well then i can say to scott you know scott i'm noticing i'm just feeling a little lonely in my relationship with you and scott doesn't take that as an offense he's like oh really well what i i I had no clue so you want more with me well i'm noticing you're not asking oh i guess that is on me well scott i want more from my relationship oh what would you like and scott's allowed to say yes no maybe so i go well scott i'd like to get together with you once a week and he's like oh no i don't want to do that because we're in a relationship mm-hmm. and, and, and scott says no i'd really like to meet with you every two weeks would that be fine and i go i'm a little sad but i'm also like yeah that'd be cool so we negotiated all based on a feeling based on having healthy exchange which is all that was all emotional right there i mean i mm. did it real quick but i want leaders to do that so mm. i hope that makes sense yeah. Yeah. Well, Rob, thank you for the work you're doing in the world. It's needed. And I'm so glad you wrote this book. And everybody really needs to, yeah, stop reading 100 books a year. Get Rob's book, though, as one of the three. <laughs> yeah, always. Get my, get, my, get my book as one of the other three. So there's two. <laughs> there's two. And John's book. So there's three books. There's three That's books. all you need. Yeah. No, in seriousness, though, thanks for coming on and sharing some of this. I, I really... I wish we had more time. I wish we could talk for yeah. hours on this because your passion is um, contagious and I, I, we can feel it through the screen and everything you're saying. And I know you enough to know that this is real for you and yeah. that you really want to make a difference. And that is refreshing. I love that you're not a salesperson, but people are buying into it, not because you're selling it, but because they feel it, they believe it, you've, well, you've researched it, you live it, and it's a beautiful thing. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you ever so much. I've uh, I've enjoyed the workout, but I've also just very much enjoyed listening um, and 
hearing in your voice like the passion that you have for it it's it is something that's well worth exploring um if people haven't done so before so thank you oh you're so welcome thank you and folks until next time remember the world is evolving are you are you